You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Turn with me to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalm chapter 116. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 19. Psalm 116 and verses 1 through 19. Uh, And as was the custom in the church, let's stand for this reading. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is God's Word. One of my favorite stories in literature is by Leo Tolstoy. It's a short fictional tale entitled The Three Hermits. Uh, And he tells a story about a bishop uh, who is out seeking to tell people the good news of salvation. And he's sailing along to different sort of remote places. And and as they're out sailing along, there's this island that they see. And a couple of his crew tell him that supposedly on this island are three very religious holy men uh, and that they're very revered and honored. They, they rarely talk, uh, but everyone believes that they are, are certainly men of God. Uh, and so the bishop says, well, we, we must stop there. And his initial thought, although he doesn't share it, is that this will be such a great opportunity for him to teach these three hermits what it means to love God. And so he arrives on the island, he spends a couple of days with them, and his goal is just to teach them the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And it doesn't go as well as he thought. You know, they seem to have a hard time repeating it. Uh, But at the end of his trip, he must leave, so he leaves them. And and as they're sailing away and he sees the island kind of disappear, he's thinking to himself, I've done such a great thing. I've gone to this group of hermits and I've told them and taught them how to pray. 
And, he's, and then Tolstoy goes on and says, suddenly they notice that there seems to be a bright light coming towards them at a very rapid speed. And they can't figure out what it is until they suddenly realize it's the three hermits. And they're running upon the water. And they quickly overtake the boat. They stand before this bishop and they say, please, please, again, repeat to us the Lord's Prayer because we can't remember it fully. And the bishop is humbled and he says, please forgive me, teach me how to pray. And it brings us to the point that we are a congregation that is putting before us this year that we need to be devoted to doing what is good. And you can't speak about doing what is good with also speaking about what does it mean to pray well, to be a people who, who know how to pray. And I think anytime you approach the subject of prayer, at least from the pulpit, it's a very humbling thing because you do not want to give the impression that, well, I have arrived at this and you need to kind of get where I am. I think we realize quickly, prayer is something we all need to learn more about, that we all need to see what does it mean to pray well. And so I want to direct your attention to Psalm 116. Maybe not the first place that you would think of to go to learn how to pray. Uh, we might naturally go to Christ's prayer, to the disciples, the Lord's prayer. Maybe we can turn to some of Paul's prayers and look at those. But I think Psalm 116 is also an excellent place to go. Quick little background note. This occurs in a section known as the Hallelujah Psalms. So Psalm 111 through 117 are called the Hallelujah Psalms. In particular, you notice verse 19 of Psalm 119 ends with, in Hebrew, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, these particular sets of Psalms would have been recited and sung during the Passover. So it is very likely that Christ, when he is preparing to institute the Lord's Supper, may have referred to and even recited some of these very words from Psalm 116. Notice there's no sort of superscription to the psalm. In other words, any indication about its exact background. Uh, many believe that it's King David, maybe written during the time in which uh, he was delivered from the threats of his son Absalom. Others have wondered if it's coming from the lips of Hezekiah uh, following his healing of his sickness. But I think the exact background is not as important as what we see taught here about praying. And so I would look at this and say to us, first of all, we see in this particular psalm, praying well is a reflection of your love for God. Praying well is a reflection of your love for God. Notice verse 1. It simply begins, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Now, the word love means to, to delight in, to be fascinated and absorbed in. So whoever the exact author of this is, is saying, I love the Lord. And the Lord there is the title that you probably know is Yahweh. It's the, the covenant-keeping name of God, points to his self-existence. But what is strikingly interesting is in Psalm 116, it occurs 12 times. So you can't not read this psalm without being confronted with the Lord, with Yahweh. 
And so when we begin to think of prayer, prayer should be something that, as we might be familiar with, at times we labor in prayer, but we shouldn't labor to pray. It should be something that comes naturally from us, being a child of God. So praying well is a reflection of your love for God. But we must underline that with the fact that our love for God is preceded by his love for us. So even though you can say, well, I'm calling out to God, realize it's all because of what he has done for us. And so looking closer at verse 1, you notice the use of the word for. Anytime you see this particular word, it's indicating here are some reasons. So why does the writer of this psalm love the Lord? Well, because of God's love first for him, reflected in the fact that he heard my voice. He paid attention to my cry. But then he goes on and says, he turned his ear to me. Uh, a picture of one stooping down or inclining themselves to hear better. Any of us know as an adult, if you're relating to your grandchildren or young children, what do you tend to do when you talk to them? You, you get down on their level. And so here you have a reflection of God's condescending love to us. What better picture of that do we have than in Christ? Where the Apostle John, who's known as the beloved one, the Apostle whom Christ loved, would say, we only love God because he first loved us. So already in the words of this psalm, you see the reaction to the fact that God has first loved us. But heartfelt and effectual prayer is the result, not of human effort, but the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's vital that we understand here when at the end of verse 1 we read that he has heard my cry for mercy. Then in verse 2, I will call on him as long as I live. That this change is, is not based on, well, look at the righteousness of David or Hezekiah, but look at the work that God has done in their heart. That now they would desire to call on him. And this is a very specific verb. To call means to summon by name. So already you're indicating a, a relationship that is there. And so as Christians, we realize we can pray and should pray with passion, with enthusiasm, because this is a privilege that is ours in Christ. It's the result of the Holy Spirit. We'll come right back to this psalm, but turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, where Paul in particular is highlighting the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's continual growth in Christ, in verses 15 and 16, and then in 26 and 27, he reminds us of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you see in verse 15, he writes, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So you have a number of different titles for the Holy Spirit. Here he's referenced as the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption. So we are brought into the family of God. But then you go over to verses 26 and 27, 
he continues to explain what, what does that look like now. And so beginning at verse 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So not only do we now have a desire to call out to the Lord, but we have the ability to do that effectually. And I don't know what word you might use to describe your present prayer life, but according to the book of James, we should be able to pray as effectively as Elijah. That, that Elijah was not some unique individual in the history of Israel that could do something no one else could do, but he is a picture to us of what real prayer looks like. And yet that work is a result of the ministry and operation of the Holy Spirit in us. So as a congregation, as individuals, just pause to think for a moment that praying well is a reflection of your love for God. In other words, our prayers are very revealing. They show where we are in our relationship with the Lord. Often I like to reread Spurgeon's advice to preachers that covers everything from should they have a beard to other elements. Um, but he says a pastor should not pray differently in the pulpit than he does in his prayer closet. In other words, there shouldn't be a new language I use when I'm praying before a congregation. I shouldn't be using certain words that I would never use outside of the pulpit. In other words, my prayers should be real. They should be genuine. They should always properly be addressed to the Father through the Son because of the Holy Spirit. But I don't pray two different ways. And I think sometimes we realize in prayer we can get caught up in praying differently in public than we pray privately. And that's not the, how it should be. But the psalm isn't done teaching us what does it mean to pray well. Because praying well is the result of intimacy with God. So if you happen to observe my wife and I, and let's say you noticed that I never really talk to her in public. And maybe the few times if I speak to her in public, I, um, it's always about me. What would you tend to assess about our relationship? You'd probably start to say, well, where, where is the love? You know, it doesn't seem to be that intimate. It seems kind of formal. Well, could we use that same assessment when it comes to praying well? Does our prayer reflect a deep intimacy, acquaintance, with God, that we know the one that we're praying to. And so as you look particularly more closely at this psalm, notice again verse 1, and then as we go through verse 5 and verse 7. Clearly the, the psalmist, or Hezekiah in this case, display an internalized and accurate knowledge of God. That you can't read this psalm and walk away saying, well, I, don't, I don't think they really know who God is. They know him by his attributes. So notice in verse 1, just the fact that he heard my cry for mercy. God is a God of mercy. And the word mercy 
refers to God who responds in love to those who are dealing with the consequences of their sin. If David is the author of this, think of all the repercussions of everything that happens in his family with Absalom, um, that certainly there's a guilt there on Absalom's part, but David was not perfect. And at times in his life, he's dealing with the consequences of his own sins, and God responds in mercy. But you go further, notice verse 5, you have a drawing out of a passage in Deuteronomy when Moses is told, well, what is God like? And so you find some of these same attributes mentioned. Notice in verse 5, it says, the Lord is gracious. He responds favorably towards those who call out to him and know him. God is a prayer hearing and prayer answering God, but he does not owe us an answer. He does not owe us anything. And it's very important that our prayers reflect that, that when he responds and provides, we don't just say, well, God, you know, I, you should have done that anyway, but we respond in thanksgiving. It's, it's his favor. But then he goes on in verse 5, God is righteous. He, he's not just the standard of what is holy. Uh, he himself is that standard. He is a just God. And often in David's life and the lives of other individuals in their prayer, you see that they're calling out to God to display and exercise his justice, to, to punish those who are evil, and to bless and reward those who are righteous. So God is not only gracious, he's righteous, but notice he's, he's not just compassionate in verse 5, he is full of compassion. The fact that the author of this psalm can, can stand where they are and say these things is evidence of God's compassion and his deliverance. And then he adds to that his loving kindness. We might think of his steadfast love, his, his hashed, his, his way in which he is loyal to those he has established a covenant with. Think of how Christ appealed to that when he would give the Great Commission and say, you know, I am with you to the ends of the earth. I, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. How many times had Israel heard that same statement about God's character? So praying well here clearly demonstrates not just you know the right answers to say about who God is, but you have internalized this. It is held on to by you. Then notice verse 7, a way of maybe summarizing this. In verse 7 it says, Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And what a way of, of characterizing God as a good God. We sometimes sing the worship chorus, Good, good Father. That's a way of using one word to kind of say, you know what, this, this says it all. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's righteous, he's just. There's benefits with knowing him. And our prayers should reflect this sort of knowledge and awareness of God. But praying well does something else. When you reflect on God's character and display that in your prayer, it sharpens your awareness of what God has done and is doing. 
because it's so easy for us to get absorbed in our immediate circumstances, situations, uh, that we immediately sort of panic. Uh, we look at how we can solve this problem or need to deal with it rather than bring it before the Lord. And so you see in particular verse 3 and then verses 8 through 11, the writer here reflects back on, I have seen God work. So verse 3 speaks about, we don't know the exact experience, but the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came upon me, I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. In other words, my deliverance had nothing to do with me. It was completely a work of God. And he'll echo that in verse 4 when he says, the Lord saved me. That, that's help coming outside yourself in that present situation. But then you go down to verses 8 through 11, reflecting and being aware of God's hand. He says, O Lord, you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. You get a picture here of both a point when he was at despair and realized, I cannot depend on any other human agency in this situation. I must trust fully in God. And isn't that what praying well should look like? That, that we're not relying on some formula we're using and to even think that somehow the Lord's Prayer, as it is a pattern for prayer, to think somehow that by just reciting that is a magical potion to get God to do what we want is to completely misunderstand the teaching of that prayer. So praying well includes not just a reflection of your love for God, but as we've seen, secondly, it's a result of intimacy with God. In the final two stanzas of Psalm 116, though, we see that praying well is contagious. Uh, maybe you could put it this way. In other words, what happens in your prayer closet shouldn't stay in your prayer closet. That, that, that prayer is to have, when we're praying well, it affects those around us. And so you notice in verse 14, the writer here speaks of how this understanding of God and this trust in God restores one's enthusiasm for serving God. Because in verse 14, he says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So you go from a picture of you're struggling, but you've committed this to prayer. You learn what it means to pray well. And, and what's the result of this? You have a renewed enthusiasm to serve God. Uh, vows are very interesting in the Old Testament. Nowhere are you commanded to take a vow. But if you do take a vow, you are required to fulfill that vow. So in other words, you have the writer here saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going above and beyond what's expected here. I'm making vows to the Lord. And, and I will fulfill those vows by God's strength in the presence of his people. Now you start to gain the fact that this is not for personal recognition. This is out of love for God. And then think about the reality. How does this impact others around you? When you see a joy for the Lord, an eagerness to serve God, it's contagious. 
And that's a good thing. It should rub off on us. But then you notice as well, verse 16, the simple statement, O Lord, truly I am your servant. Repeat it again. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. Now the maidservant is either a reference to kind of again saying, I am your faithful servant, or you could be saying, I am following the pattern of a previous generation who also served you. And if you think of that previous statement, here I am imitating others, what I have seen in your house and in the history of your people. That would show the contagiousness of what we're dealing with here. When you are in the company of those who pray well, it should encourage you to greater service and obedience. But you see as well in this final paragraph here or stanza, that there will also be a growing desire for corporate worship and communion of the saints. And we've, we certainly see a trend in modern evangelicalism today and in Christianity, which is somewhat disturbing, and that it's become very individualized. You know, people speak of their path and the journey that they're on. And yes, God works individually in our lives in different ways, but we've sort of lost the significance of the corporate element. And so you notice here that the, this psalm comes all the way around in verse 17, where he's spoken about vows, but now he speaks of, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Once again, where? In the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. So would it be accurate to say if your prayer life, if you are not praying well, it will be reflected in your lack of desire for corporate worship and getting together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We can have people in the church and we need people in the church who are quote unquote prayer warriors. And, and they may exercise that certainly in the privacy of their own prayer closet when they're praying, but that should also be exercised in the company of one another in Christ. So to say somehow, well, I, I don't like to pray in front of people, but I'm a kind of person who just prays privately, doesn't really match here. That your love for God should spill over in the desire to pray and worship and interact, spiritual conversations with one another in the house of God. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it's always encouraging to see how the Old Testament confirms, further explains, complements the Old Testament. So notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it should come as no surprise if I said to you, is prayer important? You've all gone to enough church, you'd say, absolutely, prayer is important. But do we realize how important it is and necessary it is to pray well? Because notice 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul, often as he gets to the end of the letter, will, will throw in a bunch of short admonitions, exhortations. But notice as we read these, we would quickly nod our head in agreement. Be joyful always. Yep, that's a good one. Pray continually. Yep. Give, give thanks in all circumstances. Yep, but then notice the reason. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will. This is what he 
commands. This is what he desires. In other words, praying well is not a program that the church needs to put together and implement. It's not a creative marketing strategy to try to use. Praying well is the church and those who make up the church, individual believers, acknowledging we can do nothing apart from God. But in God's strength and power, there is no limit to what we can do in Christ. So when we recite our memory verse that we need to be devoted to doing good, put in your mind now the different elements that includes. And that includes praying well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you have made your will so clear to each one of us here. Forgive us for the times that prayer has been a mere formality sometimes, where we have sought more to be heard by others than to be heard by you. That we have sought that our prayers would delight others rather than asking ourselves, is this prayer honoring and delighting to you? By your grace, may you teach us how to pray well. In Jesus' name, amen.